Very, very excited about that. And we actually made it bigger for COVID reasons. That way they can stay six feet. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just having a little fun. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we're at this morning. The title of the message is Conversion. Conversion. So Ephesians chapter 2. I want to start with a question, and that is, can someone truly change? Can someone truly change? I think that's a great question. If you look at our culture, I think sometimes you wonder if people can change. So people have said that they've changed, and you find out they they really haven't changed. Um, They've just said they changed, and they didn't really change all along. You look at our culture, and the culture doesn't seem to be changing for the better at all. So it's not good changes that our culture seems to be making. It's it's less than good or, or bad choices from time to time. And so you wonder, can people really change for the better? Can that really happen? Culture tells us not to change who you are. You just be who you are and, and go for that and don't change. Um, so we, we have situations where people just continue to be as they are and they create more and more issues for their lives and they never change, they never grow. By the way, that's a very immature uh, life focus, to never change just to be who you are and never change who you are. It's very immature. For instance, we, we say that a lot, like, you know, don't change, the culture does, and be who you are, but if, if a murderer on Halloween night killed people in a house, then buried them in his yard or in their yard and gave out candy while he was doing it, we would all want him to change or go to, you know, or we wouldn't do this. If he was caught, we wouldn't say, oh, well, that's just who he is. It's just who he is. He shouldn't go to jail. He shouldn't get the death penalty. He shouldn't even have a trial. He's just who he is. He doesn't need to change. Absolutely not. We wouldn't think that. We would send that boy to jail or that woman. I'm waiting for them to, you know how they're remaking all this stuff like Ghostbusters, which was awful with the women. It's like guys remaking Still Magnolia's. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's what I, 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 come on, come on, come on. I know we're trying to be equal, but really, really, we're going to do that? Okay. I'm waiting for them to remake some horror flick where the woman is the one going after, after people. You know, like Michaelette Myers or something, something. Michelle Myers or something. Anyway, we'll, we'll get back to this. Okay, so we always want them to change, right? And we want them to do something. But then, but then we have this stuff like right here in the middle where we've been conditioned to think that it's okay, like it's okay for people to live this way because that is their makeup, when all the while, it is not good for them to live that way. It doesn't help the human race, it doesn't help them, and it prevents them from getting the mental help that they need. In our culture today, the things that I learned were mental conditions when I was in school are now accepted as normal. And back in the day when we were learning about that, there was medication for this stuff. There was stuff that could equal out there's stuff on the inside, but now we just accept it because it's the way that they are, and that is immaturity. It, it is this section right here, and so we say stuff like you can marry whoever you want to marry, and it doesn't matter, but I'm telling you, it does matter. It does matter. 
It does matter your development, and it does matter your growth, and it does matter where you are going. You have to change. If you do not change, you never mature. You absolutely never mature. You remain immature for the length of time that you decide not to change. It is just the way it is. So culture tells us that it's okay to be you. You don't have to change, but I'm telling you, you have to change in order to progress, in order to mature. Everyone needs to change. Everyone. Everyone needs to change. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 2. It says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul would say to the people that he's writing to, you have changed. He would say, you were dead in the trespasses and sins, but right now you're not. He would say, you once walked this way, but now you're walking differently. He would say you were following the prince and the powers and the demons and the, and the spiritual warfare, the dark side of, of life, you know. You were following that, but now you're not. You're no longer the sons of disobedience. You have changed. He's speaking to people that have changed. He says, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. He's saying you have changed from that. You have changed. I would submit to you this morning that there is a difference between changing and conforming. A difference between changing and conforming. You see, some people that would read this passage of Scripture aren't really the people that have changed. They have conformed to their trespasses and sins. They have conformed to the way of this world. They have followed in sin. They have done those particular things. They have followed sons of disobedience. They have followed the passions of their flesh. And when they have followed the fashions of their, the fashions, the fashions, no, not the fashions of their, the passions of their flesh, when they follow those things, right, they are conforming to them and it's, totally different to conform than it is to change. You see, the key word here is a lot of people can say that they were a part of that, but there's a lot of people who can't say that they were a part of that because presently they are a part of the world, the flesh, and following that. One of my heroes of the faith is Billy Graham. I've always been impressed with him. I'm impressed with him because of what he did in this nation in spreading the gospel. And, and he was absolutely an amazing man. And he stayed faithful all the way to the end of his days. There was never a conspiracy with him. He was always a righteous man that walked. I liked Billy Graham. He was amazing to me. One thing that he said that hit my heart um, was that 50% of the people that go to church are not saved. Now, when you first hear that from someone like that, you think, wow, there is a reason he has said that. And what he is saying is, there's some people sitting in churches on Sunday that can't say that they were a part of trespasses and sin. They are still a part of them and haven't been saved from them. 
There is a group of people in churches all across this nation and all around this world that think because they have said words that they are Christians. And just because you mentally said the words doesn't mean that you're really saved. You just have joined a religion. The moment that you are saved is the moment that something changes, not something conforms. See, when you say the words and you go back and you're still living in the trespasses and sin and you haven't been saved from it, what you've done is you've conformed the gospel message to the world rather than allowing the gospel message to change you into something else. So when you are saved, you ask God for a specific thing and he changes you on the inside. I think the reason Billy Graham said that is because he traveled the countries and he, he knew the country. Yeah, he traveled the countries, actually. That is correct. Thank you, Jesus. He traveled all over the world and he noticed that church people that went to church every Sunday were coming forward to get saved because they could never really say truthfully that they were a part of trespasses and sin. They had never been rescued out of those conformity. Um, I was studying this yesterday and um, I kept seeing this word, this, this phrase over and over again in the text, doing the things you want to do, doing the things you want to do. And so when I saw that in the text, I thought, wow, this is, this is pretty amazing. So I wrote that down and I wrote some things up underneath it and I added something to the sermon today. Well, this morning when I woke up, you know, you know, I review this stuff before I get up here, right? I, I looked at the text and if you notice in those three verses that we just read, that phrase isn't in there. The phrase, doing the things you want to do. So I was like, well, what in the world happened? Well, I use a different Bible at home than I do here, okay? And so uh, chapter two, verse two is on one side of the page and the other side completes the verse two in Ephesians. So what I was doing yesterday is I, I was on the first page, on the first part of verse two, but I would go to my notes and when I would go back, I would actually look at Galatians. And so that phrase right there, doing the things you want to do, actually comes from Galatians and not from Ephesians. But what I want to do right now is I want to read that verse because it really goes right along with what I'm saying here. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, says this, for the desires of the spirit of, wait, sorry, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. You see, I am definitely a believer because there are some times that I want to fall into temptation and go in that direction and I have a spirit inside of me telling me not to do that and it prevents me from doing that. And then there are times that God is telling me something to do and I can feel the spirit of my flesh with resistance to do that thing that God wants me to do. Most of the time, it's when I need to talk to somebody about something that would be very uncomfortable. Do you ever have those moments? You know you're supposed to say something to somebody, but you're, you just, you're just like, yeah, but then my friendship would fall apart and they might get upset, and, but you're being led to say something to that individual like you know you are and, and that 
that flesh is like no and God is like yes and that flesh is like no. Well, it's trying to prevent you from doing the thing that you should do. And so what you should do in that particular situation is say, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay the price here and I'm gonna have the conversation because I feel like God wants me to. And you step forward and you have that conversation. You will still feel the battle inside of you. I'm gonna lose them as a friend. What, yeah, no, no, look, God wants me to do this. I don't know why. And so here, it's doing the things you want to do. You need to be prevented from doing some of the things you want to do, and you need to be encouraged to do some of the things that you want to do. You see, rebellion is conformity. You think it's not because you're rebelling against the world system, you're rebelling against something, but really rebellion is conformity because rebellion is when you're not getting your way and you just want to do something because you want to do it. And you conform. It's conformity. It's conformity to the flesh. Individual interest is conformity. If you have an individual interest that you continue to push for and you're interested in it, it that, is, that is conformity when, when you do that to excess. Independence is conformity. You know, I'm not going to conform. I'm going to be independent. And everybody's going to know that I am different. Well, you've conformed. Because even though you're not conforming to this part of the world, you're conforming to your flesh because you're just going to be who you're going to be and you're never going to change. Are you, are you tracking with me? It's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, you know, the, uh, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Not changing is conforming. You see, most people don't change because they think conformity and independence has changed. Now, let me get, get to this. There are things in this environment that we have conformed to, and we can, we can conform to being better in this environment, or we can conform to being worse in this environment, but we're still in a lost environment. It's kind of like, and I'm not preaching against this, I'm just telling you a perspective, okay? It's kind of like Harry Potter. Harry Potter has a good side, okay? And Harry Potter has a bad side. But they're all under Satan. Now listen, my family reads the books, I've watched the movies. I don't want you, you know what I mean? But you have to have a perspective. The good side, even though they won, is still bad. It is not the forces of good on God's side. I wish somebody would write a book about that. Wouldn't that be cool to have a book? Well, nobody would buy it. That's why they haven't written it. Oh, come on. Right? Because this is more like mysterious and dark and great. Anyway, so, so if you're living over here and you're doing good, your goodness isn't good. It's still under the principality of the air, the, the person that's running this present darkness. That is what it is under. And so we desperately need to be saved out of this. We need to change out of that. Now, let me read verses one through three again. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, I've thought about how I would like to die. Have you ever had this? I'm not saying that you should go home and make this happen, but I'm just, I've just thought through. If, if I was to die, what would be the best way to die? Have you, have you ever had those thoughts? No? It's some, thank you. Some honesty in the room. So, so think about how to die. So the way that I would like to die is this, okay? I go to bed at night. I pray. I pray for uh, the world in general. I pray for the world that is in chaos, like the different nations that are coping with different things, and there's just a lot of turmoil in those nations. I pray for my nation. I pray for the, for the election and the craziness that is out there concerning the election and concerning politics and concerning our environment, right? I, I pray for um, someone to stop the people that like to burn down places and cities, because that is evil, right? And you, you pray concerning those things. Pray about people being sick. For instance, um, I, prayed, I prayed this week for Derek Cornette, as I know many of you have, who fell off his roof and he broke his back, actually fractured it. And the very next day, he got up out of his bed in his hospital room and walked to his door. I attribute that to prayer. That's what I attribute that to. I mean, I know, but I know that God entered in and allowed it. And now he's home. And that's just an amazing thing to me, okay? But even him being home and even that amazingness of that answer to prayer, he's still suffering. He's still in pain today. He's still recouping. And so I'm praying for him to recoup because it wasn't instantaneous. This thing wasn't instantaneous. So he's gonna have to, he's gonna have to heal. So you pray for things that are in process, that you, you want to get better, that you want people to be better, that you want them to get back to normal, but maybe it doesn't happen quickly. For instance, Parker, Parker um, Bailey who's had cancer and he's fought, fought with cancer. He's going through treatments, he's doing well, and they have to seclude themselves at home because he can't catch anything. I mean, the littlest thing that he could catch, he, he doesn't need to catch it because his immune system is very weak. He's someone that needs to protect himself because of what he's going through. I pray for him and I'm thankful for how God has progressed that and I see the progression, but he is still, he is still needing prayer. He is still sick. Is everybody tracking so I pray for all these things. So the way I want to die is this. I want to finish that prayer and I want to close my eyes, lay my head under the pillow, close my eyes. I might kiss my wife, I might not. Depends on the day. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's a joke. So close my eyes, right? Close my eyes. And then when my eyes wake up, all of that stuff is gone. Instantaneously, I'm somewhere else instantaneously, maybe the first thing I see is the demons that have been trying to get me off track my entire life. And I look at them and I think, oh, you know, I believed in you, but I don't think I believed in you as much as I should have now that I see you. And then I see them kind of scouring back, you know, scouring back in this corner. And then I see the good people, the angels, the good system that, that has been all around me. Like, 
how many guardian angels does it take to keep me safe in a vehicle? A lot. Obviously, because I've been safe in a vehicle and people hit me all the time and I've been safe. So those angels have been like, oh, you know, I believed in you, but now I really believe in you because I see you and it makes sense that you are part of my life. I've doubted your existence sometimes if you really, if this is really the way it works, but now that I see you, I have a full understanding of that. And these demons keep kind of going back here and they're, they're, they're getting out of the picture and out of this particular place that I've woke up in because right past the angels is Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. And what an amazing thing that would be. What an amazing thing it would be to put my head on the pillow and wake up the next day and there's no CNN and there's no election and there's no COVID and there's no disease and there's nothing else. All it is, is perfection. And in a moment's time, all of that stuff is gone and I am in heaven in a place that doesn't have any of that stuff. The place that people dream about, right? And you wake up in that. Wouldn't that be awesome? Just to lay your head down and wake up in the next life. That'd be incredible. Be absolutely incredible. Now, look at chapter two, verse four. It says this, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and settled us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Wow. See, this is salvation. This is me being taken from this darkness and placed in the light of eternity. This is me being rescued. This is about salvation. So let me say a couple of things about it. First of all, salvation is not adjusting yourself to your desires and feeling better about them. That's not salvation. You're making some type of adjustment. If you make an adjustment, you're over here. You're not saved. You've just made an adjustment. Salvation is not just a mental exercise. See, if you did a mental exercise to make yourself feel better, like, um, um, you're still over here. You, you haven't changed. And you're mental. Okay, you're mental. Salvation is not a New Year's resolution. It's not the moment where you say, I will not do this anymore. I will not sin this way anymore. I will not do that. I will be a better person. And you make a resolution to be a better person. Salvation isn't that at all. Salvation is saying, I am lost. I'm lost. I'm lost in this world right here. I'm confused in this world right here. I am lost, I am sinful in this world right here. 
Salvation is saying, I need rescuing. I can't do this on my own. I can't make the world better. I can't make myself better. I am lost and I need rescuing. That is salvation. Salvation is being born again. It's saying I'm lost. It's saying to Jesus, I need rescuing. And it's him coming down and rebirthing you, putting a new life in you. That is salvation. Salvation is when you rely on God to do the saving. That's what salvation is. Yeah, that's what salvation is. It's not me, it's not me. See, it's by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. It is God lifting you up and rescuing you and putting you here. See, you know it has happened when you find yourself adjusting to the desires of Jesus. That's when you know it's happened. And let me tell you something. You know it's happened when it has happened. It is a brand new you on the inside. You feel the change. You know the change. It is a moment. It's a moment like none other. And there's various levels of that moment, but here's what I know. That moment is extremely exciting and you can feel the newness and you can feel the fact that you're different than you were before you cried out to God to save you from your sins and asked him to be your savior. And then God reached down and rescued you and set you into new life in him. Come on, it's great. It's great, new life. So that said, let me show you a couple of pictures. Okay, just a couple of pictures. Picture number one. Isn't that creative, right? It's, it's not a Volkswagen Beagle, Beetle, but it is a Volkswagen Beetle, but it's more like a spider Volkswagen. Anyway, it's made that way. Pretty creative. Yeah, pretty creative. However, this right here is a picture of conformity. It's taking a car and conforming it into another shape. That is not change. Next picture. I don't even know what went through the guy's mind that said, hey, I think we can flip a bus upside down and put it on top of another bus. I don't even know why this would be something. I often wonder if the wheels upstairs run, but I don't think so because there's no direct line from the engine up there. So I don't think that works that way, but it'd be pretty cool if it did. But this is also conformity because what you're looking at is still a bus. It's just weird, right? It's not the way it should be, right? Here's the next one. Derek Cornett would really love this, actually. Yeah. So this is, a, this is a race. This is still a Jeep, though. This is still conformity. There's still, you can tell it's a Jeep. So nothing has really, really changed about that. They've just conformed it to something else. Here's the next one. Isn't that crazy? Somebody said, I really need a bulldozer. And so they got a scoop or a bobcat or whatever. They got a scoop and they put it on the front and then they did a little scoop thing on the back. That's... That's crazy, but that is still a what? 
car. That is, that is conformity. It's when you, you take something here and you put it on yourself so you would look different, but you're still, a, you're still yeah, that's conformity. So let's talk about what change is, all right? Change, I might be able to describe like this. You can go to the next picture. When we lived in Kentucky and Aurora was three years old, we would go to this, um, we'd go to this playground. The problem with the playground is that the slide was very slow. Have you ever experienced a slow slide? And so she would have to do this to get down the slide for what, whatever reason. So trying to fix that problem, I came up with the idea one day while dusting my house that I could probably spray pledge on the slide and she would be able to go faster. So I took pledge, lemon fresh pledge, and we went to the park without Nicole. Okay, this is a key, key point. Because Nicole stops me from doing some stuff sometimes. That would be really a lot of fun, but she is who she is. Okay, she's fun. I'm just messing. And she was here the first, she knows, don't get uncomfortable. Okay, so I took the can of pledge and I sprayed that slide, buddy. And I was so excited. And and Aurora's three-year-old little eyes were just bright because she knew it was going to be something great, right? And I said, it's going to be great. So now go down the slide, and you'll go all the way down, and you'll go really fast. So she got up there, and she went down the slide, but it didn't work. Like, she scooted and had to scoot and had to scoot and went all the way down to the bottom. And so I said, I don't know why it didn't work, and she just went off and played. She wasn't really all that concerned about it. So... I was trying to figure this out because, you know, pledge is really grease at the end of the day, right? I mean, it should have worked. And once you go down it a couple of times, it would be going, you know, I wasn't really sure why it didn't work. Well, a little boy got up on the platform and he went to the slide. And when he went down it, he went down it very fast. I mean, it was, and at the very end of it, his little butt went airborne. And then he went boom like this. And he sat there and my heart went, Oh my goodness, I have hurt a kid that isn't mine. Oh my goodness. And so that little boy, he, he was like this, and he went boom, and he went, yes! And he ran back up there and went down, and he slid down it, and then Aurora saw it, and she slid down it, and it was just an amazing day. And so when the pledge got to where, you know, it began to wear off, I sprayed some more, and they went back. And before too long, we had a huge group of kids that was going down that slide because that slide had changed. It had changed. Something had been added to it that was new, that was not a part of it, that would only be a part of it if you reapplied it. You tracking? And we reapplied it, and man, it was fun. Let me tell you something. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, it's like adding pledge to a slide. You slide down it, and you're like, yeah. This is where it's at. And there's something inside of you that excites your very soul, and you're like, yes, yes, this is life. And when you go back to it and things in life and your life and it starts getting kind of slow again, you spray more pledge. You get in the word, you get with Jesus, you talk to him, you have him invest in your life and before too long, you're right back to yes, this is life. And it doesn't matter what you're going through. If there's sickness, 
in your life, you're still excited. You're, you're kind of down because of the sickness, but you're like, you know what? This is good. This is what God has for me. And I'm excited because I'm a Christian. And if I was to close my eyes tonight, I know when I opened them up, if I died, I would be gone from this place. And it's, it would have been an absolutely amazing place. All my troubles would be gone. Is everybody tracking? You see, there are people that have never had that experience. They've never had the experience of something different being inside of them and they know it. They've never had that experience. And I'm not saying that you have to know a date. I'm not saying that you have to know the age you were. I'm not saying that you have to know exactly where you were, but what I am saying is there has to be a moment in your life where you cried out to God, asked him to be your savior. He came in and there was a change. And it was an exciting change. And you were glad for that change, that salvation. If you haven't had that moment, you really need to think about your salvation. Was it just words or did you really mean it? if you really meant it, you felt the moment that God reached down and picked you up out of the dirt. The dirt fell off and it was an exciting moment. An exciting moment. It's a conversion. That's what it is. So check this out. Verse 10 says this. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you notice the beginning of the chapter, all the works are kind of dark, sons of dis- disobedience, it's really bad. You know what I mean? And right here in this verse, it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This means... God not only saved me out of this to a better life, and that's exciting, and I have a new life inside of me, but there's a purpose in it. I am supposed to be doing his good works in this world. He has predestined me to do his good works in this world. He has set it up to where if I follow him, I become part of the hope of salvation For this world. And if you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, yes, there's a new life inside of you, but you also are called to these good works and to be hope in a world that so desperately needs it. He has predestined you. You are His workmanship. You have a greater purpose in this world. And if you really want to do something good, you follow Jesus and you love people and you try to point them to Jesus because He is the only answer to the problems of this world. See, next week this time, Donald Trump isn't the answer for our problems and neither is Biden. Jesus Christ is the answer. And I didn't vote for him, but he voted for me when he stretched his arms on that cross. Each drop of blood was a vote for my salvation and for your salvation. It was a vote that said, I want you in heaven with me. And all you have to do is accept that free gift. And that is where you go when you die. Whether you die in a car accident or you lay your head on a pillow and you wake up in heaven, he voted for you to be there with his blood. Do good 
works. Amen? Do good works. Is it good works? Is what I'm about to do a good work? Is it a good work? It's not a good work according to you. It has to be a good work according to Jesus. That's the difference. I have a lot of good works that just aren't Jesus works, right? It's not Jesus works, but good works according to Jesus. That is true conversion. You go from doing works of darkness, you're changed, and you're converted into doing good works for Jesus. Let's pray.